He looked up from where he had been carefully smoothing the embroidered cover, and seeing his face, Costas felt the shock like a physical blow. If Atolia could look like a queen, Eugenides was like a god revealed, transformed into something wholly unfamiliar, surrounded by the cloth of gold bed cover like a deity on an altar, passionless and calculating. That's a glow up. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief, which is in only 212 days. It's January 26th, 2020. It's another long one today, guys. In Chapter 10, Eugenides gets serious, takes charge, takes names, takes matters into his own hand. In 50 pages, this man destroys the house of Arendidi. Gets his frenemy a new job, pardons the spymaster he got arrested five chapters ago, and throws a tantrum in the basement. All while Irene laughs for possibly the first time ever in her whole life. And you won't believe what happens next. Click here for more. This chapter is like a magic trick. Yeah. It just flips and flips and flips and flips and flips. And poor Costas is running on two hours sleep. Over like four days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and the, the shoe finally drops, and we finally get the big reveal that we've been waiting for for the whole book. It's interesting to think about what does this reveal mean to a reader who already knows, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because we should not be surprised. Like, we already knew this was coming at some point. Yeah, but I still find it really satisfying. Yeah. And I don't know if it's that you feel vindicated because... Like, he's finally getting his due, and he's finally being appreciated, and that's nice to see. (laughs) That's how I feel about it. Like, you know, you've spent the whole book watching him get teased and, like, not even insulting people anymore and whatever, and looking very incompetent, and now it's just the total, complete reverse. But it is, I think that there, there is an element of reveal, even for a reader who has read the previous two books, Mm -hmm. right? Because we know that Eugenides is tricky. We know that he has, um, he, that he's, he's always got something cooking. We know that he's competent, but Eugenides was like a god revealed. That is a a step step further. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He has, like, while we were looking the other way, he's, become something mm-hmm. wholly unfamiliar and he's this is it also reveals a character change in him that he's now i would say more ruthless than he was in queen of Atolia. his character oh, yeah. is definitely changed in a way that even readers who saw this coming wouldn't have expected um like in queen of Atolia, we get a lot more of we see a lot more of his ambiguity over what is he turning into mm-hmm. in becoming ruthless and here. Um, but also his indulgence is uh, to pardon someone. Yeah. Mercy is a selfish act. Yeah. In this context. Which is not like the broad attitude. No one is expecting that. No mm-hmm. one knows that he means that until he does it. Yeah. But that's what it means to him. And so he's still feeling this conflict. Mm-hmm. Or rather, he's accepted that he needs to do these things, but 
um, it's a burden on him. Which is which must be why he's been so resistant to the idea of acting like a king. Because we see here, like, he is acting like a king um, overtly for the first time. I don't know. I just think it's interesting that he spent the whole book trying to trying to get out of responsibility nominally but then you see in this chapter he is already completely resolved yeah and there's he's no hesitation he's been this planning this yeah yeah so it's just an interesting uh shift between i don't know he's been he's been putting off the reality of what he already knows is inevitable yeah and this is just him being resigned to it and acting it out i guess yeah and he needs prodding to to do this even in the moment mm-hmm. irene's like it's it's time yeah you gotta do it you need to see to your attendance and then go to bed which of course he does <laughs> not do and he already had um the purse and the letter for Didi already ready in the bedside drawer right next to him mm-hmm. so he had been and he warned Planning Didi. This. Yeah, what did he warn Didi about? He said, tell, he warned Didi and then also said, warn your brother. Yeah. Like, what could that warning possibly have been? If he was trying to bring down the house of Aaron Didi's, he wouldn't have said, like, tell Sejanus to cool it because he needed Sejanus to do all those things in order to overstep and then. Yeah, it's wreck like a passionless exercise. I would destroy one man to destroy a house. Uh, like, he, he needed to do this. But I think that he, like, he wants to absolve his conscience of the responsibility for the impact of that action on individual people as much as possible. Mm, yeah. Which is one of the reasons that he goes out of his way to make things as easy as possible for Didi. And it's also because he likes Didi. Mm-hmm. They're sort of fre- friends? Frenemies? Fre- frenemies. <laughs> comrades in a weird way i wanted to ask uh why was jen jealous of Didi? are we talking about um like he was jealous of Didi before he was king because that makes sense i guess because Didi was able to try and be with the queen like openly where jen obviously did not have that ability before the war or whatever is that is that what he meant is do you think that's why he was jealous and like that's the time frame this is it because i've never known what that was really about yeah and i think that like people would feel that Didi would have more quote-unquote right oh right obviously to be with irene than jen and also yeah. like it's not rational like yeah jen sees this non-relationship and even though it's a non-relationship he thinks oh well what if yeah Didi has the love for atolia without any of the trauma yeah so maybe that's what he's jealous about yeah like it would have uh would have been easier objectively speaking it would maybe be a better choice for her i'm interested in the wording of Eugenides was like a god revealed, transformed into something wholly unfamiliar. Like a a god is something completely alien. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. And this is coming from Costas' perspective where we already know from the Ten Cups incident that Costas is 
devout and yeah. he does believe in gods but that he like he had heard that eugenides speaks to his gods and he finds that idea very uncomfortable and he prefers to think of them safely on their altars yeah and this is it's it's an uncomfortable experience for yeah. costas it's not sublime it's frightening mm-hmm. and eugenides manages this well like he spends most of the time staring at the the blanket and picking at it yeah in his wife's flowered nightdress yeah <laughs> if costas had ever wished to see him look more like a king his wish was answered he found the prospect was unsettling careful what you wish for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everybody is just as affected as costas yeah and when Sejanus leaves in defeat, he salutes Eugenides with a term like for ancient princes, mm-hmm. which is red. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That might be my favorite moment. Yeah. I want to talk about what does this mean for the House of Erendides? Because at the end of this chapter, we, or I at least, basically feel like, okay, the House of Erendides basically is done with right now, right? Like, the Baron's still there, but the house is just gonna die. And that's kind of how I felt like... I felt like it was just cut and dried by the end of the chapter. Yeah. But then, later, in Thick as Thieves, we get... Spoiler <coughs> alert, we get a sight of whoever the new heir is, this little five-year-old boy, or however old he is. But then, in the... Um, plot summary for Return of a Thief, we hear Baron Erendides schemes anew and, like, is, I don't know, gathering power. Like, he's a real threat again. I'm like, what? I thought this was settled. (laughs) I thought we were done with this. I didn't realize we still had to worry, but I I guess we do. Yeah, it's very, like, Eugenides has put the pieces in place so that there is no way out of this. Yeah, is what it looks like here, but... And maybe he has more of a long game plan than we currently know about. I have to assume as much, right? Yeah. Like, that's who he is as a person, but also. Because someone who is as dangerous and has apparently been as much of a... Because someone who is as dangerous and who has been as much of a threat as Erendides apparently has been to Atolia wouldn't just go down that easily without a fight. Yeah. Just because his heirs are out of commission. Or whatever. Eugenides put poison in his own <laughs> medicine. Which, by the way, the medicine is opium. It's Really? It's, they say it's poppy juice. <laughs> oh my god, that's right. It is poppy juice. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> it, like, it knocks you out so thoroughly yeah. that Irene's like, we don't need to even be quiet. He's yeah. out. And he says at some other point, it makes him feel like he's been dead. Yeah. Oof. I've always been vaguely uh, put off by uh, lithium because it, it sounds like lithium. Yeah. Which is not a painkiller. But I, that's such an interesting flip because I totally was on board with Sejanus did this right up until he's like, no, yeah. I did it myself. <laughs> and the fact that he tells Didi that. And, you know, the other 15 people in the room listening. Yeah. Who will then go tell people. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's totally secure. Yeah. Which is just another mark of he's really feeling his kingship or whatever. 
Yeah, he's feeling himself. <laughs> and he likes to be honest sometimes about some things. And the fact that he is honest sometimes about some things, um, in a very surprising and intimate way, makes it more difficult to sort out yeah. when he's telling the truth and when he's lying. Because, like, he's so, he's so raw with Irene. And then he's like, of course I'm going to sleep. And you're like, hmm, yes, legit. <laughs> There's a lot with him and Irene in this chapter. And it's very painful. <laughs> but also she laughs. Yeah. This is the first time we see her laugh, I think. And she covers her I mouth so. and she does it. And you get the impression she doesn't even make noise when she laughs. She's just laughing silently because she's so unused to it. There are some funny moments still. Irene laughs at him for saying he was jealous of Dee Dee. Uh, and he says, I, I'll throw something at you. You're embarrassing me in front of my attendants. Uh, and that's it's so casual. And then he goes to see Relius, and it's revealed for the first time that when Jen was a prisoner during, or right before the war, after his hand was cut off, Relius tortured him. And, um, Jen asks, did she know, meaning did Atolia know that you tortured me? And Relius says, she didn't want to know then. And Jen says, and you weren't foolish enough to tell her later? No, though she will have guessed. Yeah, I think the screaming nightmares probably would have tipped her off. Yeah. It can't all be because of her. Even though, I mean, some of them are. Most of them are, perhaps. Why does Jen pardon Relius? I think, don't we get the answer a little later when he's talking to Relius saying that Atolia needs him as a friend? Like, it's... Atolia has yeah. spent I mean, her whole is, life making terrible decisions loyal. for the sake of the country, but if she keeps going, she's just not going to have a heart anymore or something. Mm-hmm. And also, I think, like what you were saying earlier, he wants to be merciful in order to keep that part of his own self. Yeah. And I think that it's sort of a victory uh, to say I'm not going to do to you what you did to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It gives him the moral high ground, which he rarely has. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) These days. And it also stops a cycle of violence instead of starting one, which, as king, starting one is going to be, or continuing one, is going to be most of his job. So, like, this can this could also be seen as another sign of, I guess, rebellion against what a king is supposed to do. Because it would be uh, the safest thing politically to do to just kill Relius if there's a chance that he is a meat spy. Mm-hmm. But... And there's a parallel uh, with the I want you to believe me. Yeah. With Irene. And, like, Jen, I think, really is somebody who can understand him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it says, um, so Jen asks, like, in spite of everything she did to you and all the pain you're in, you would still serve her. Even after everything she's done to you, and Relia says yes, and Jen says, so would I. 
Yeah. So they're the same in that way, and they they don't share that with other people. I'm also, uh, I can do anything I want is iconic. Of course. Uh, but it's, like, it's such a contrast with the way that he's been up till now in the story. Like, he's, he, he is frustrated with not being able to exercise his power openly in this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe because of, like, what he's just done and been through. Like, I've just uh, proven myself. Yeah. What do you mean I still haven't proven myself? And he also, he just had to... Um, all the ways in which he just proved himself were things that he did not want to be doing. Yeah. You know, he thinks he had to do exiling deity, whatever. But this was the one thing he actually cared about. Yeah. Let me have one of the perks. Irony. Which is not, not killing this dude. And it's also further ironic because, you know, of course Tileus wants Relius to be pardoned because they're friends. But this is the one like the straw that broke the camel's back Mm -hmm. this also uh establishes the am i king which will return later (laughs) and i mean you don't think of this book as being like jen changes to laius's mind but that's this book that may actually be the main that's his whole plan arc yeah definitely one of them and there it is again you don't know who is really important you don't know what's really happening until the end oh costas shoots the lock off the door yeah that that rocks i love that he can load a gun while half asleep I guess that's the army training, baby. Yeah, we've got some clues in here that Costas is maybe good at some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps he is simply not in his element here. (laughs) And the bullet ricochets and grazes his ear. Which feels like somebody's somebody up there is looking out for him. For our boy Costas. Friends with Frezine in this chapter. I love Frezine. Yeah, who kisses Eugenides on the forehead. Because he's a little boy. And this chapter is the most obvious example of this, like, public intimate life. Mm -hmm. Because the reason that we see these intimate conversations between Jen and Irene in this chapter is because Costas is watching. He's just standing there. They can't process these events in private. Mm Mm-hmm. It has to be in front of people. The room is full of people. Again, as we said last episode, you would not want to be these people. No! It's awful. Your bedroom is carpeted in gold, which I don't really know how to picture that. Uh, Ooh, I should show you pictures of cloth of gold for the bedspread. Cloth of gold is really cool for anyone else who doesn't... Who hasn't seen it, it's awesome. Ooh, yes. It's made of... So... Digression. It's a silk core with gold wrapped around it, like very thin beaten strips of gold. And then it's sometimes interwoven with silk, uh, with just pure silk threads. Tiny detail I had never noticed on other rereads. At the beginning of the chapter where 
the queen has just come into the king's room after he's had a nightmare, it says, um, sitting down on the bed, she was exquisite in her grace like a heron landing in a treetop. And I was just looking at the cover of the 2017 edition today, and there's a heron in a treetop on that edition. Oh, wow. Yeah. There are a lot of little things to notice in those covers. I'm I'm too hard on those covers. Philologos <laughs> <laughs> really pushes Jen. Because Jen says, I'm just going to forgive all of you. Mm-hmm. And Philologos suddenly grows a conscience <laughs> and a spine. Um, and he, like, pushes for a while. Uh, and then Jen's like, fine. You want to see some retaliation? I'll show you some retaliation. <laughs> And it doesn't go the way that anybody expects. Also, your father disinherited your sister and all children of hers when she married against his wishes. He did it formally. That's why he couldn't disinherit Dee Dee. That's a detail yeah. that I think we should remember. Yes. I don't think it's necessarily going to come back, but it's something to think about. And I wonder who this disinherited Aaron Dee Dee's daughter is and who she married. Yeah, what's her deal? Whose side is she on? Yeah. Where is she? That's chapter 10. Next time, Relius and Jen have a heart-to-heart and 58 pages of other stuff happens. Send us your comments, questions, thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Become the music master in the court of Feria, or retire to the Gied Valley and keep goats. Ooh, goats. (laughs) The goats. No question.